0: Welcome to the C-Word, the Conservators podcast. Today we're talking about working with curators. I'm Jennifer Mathiarsson, an objects conservator based in Kermarlandshire.
1: And I'm Chloe Rumsey, an objects conservator based in Greater Manchester.
0: Ooh, welcome to the show, everyone. Hello,
1: hello, episode two. Yeah,
0: this will be our third installment in our Working With series. I say series quite loosely, but... Oh,
1: I lost track. It is a series, it counts. Which
0: ones have we had before? We've had um, Working With Front of House and Working With Technicians, which I think both are really cool groups of people. And now for another cool group of people, which is curators. So on that subject, we've got a special guest host, because of course we do. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners?
2: Yeah, hi everyone, um, I'm Helen Antrobus, and I'm a social history curator based in Greater Manchester as well. Yay, welcome Helen.
0: Lovely, welcome back Helen, because actually you've been on the show once before. Yes,
2: mm-hmm. yeah I have, it
1: feels like forever ago now. But... Protest, wasn't it?
0: Uh, yeah, making a stand, that's the one, yeah exactly. Good episode, go listen to it. Maybe not right now, you can stay here and listen to us right now, but when you're done with this you can go and listen to that one (laughs) but yeah so today we are going to talk about working with curators and i don't know if you want to do the thing
1: as usual where we start with
0: attempting to define what a curator even is
1: so i think of it as um conservators like doing the stuff to deliver things and curators know the stuff to deliver things and we all like operate around the doing the thing But it's the curators with all the smarts. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Sometimes dependent on a good uh, database, by the way. (laughs) 100%,
1: yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, I found a couple of definitions, if anyone wants to hear them. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They are varied. These are sort of compiled from things like anything from Wikipedia to online dictionaries to museum websites so let's let's see what we got there aren't that many i picked out five so one definition is is a keeper or custodian of a museum or another collection which i thought was quite vague and i'm like (laughs) surely we are all custodians another one was a curator is someone employed by a museum or gallery to manage a collection of artworks or artifacts which is sort of more firm as a definition but also Sort of indicates that you can't be a freelancer. Like it's about the employment. You're employed somewhere. So that anchored it into an institution Mm. really hard. Another one that I quite liked was someone whose job it is to look after objects in a museum. But then again, that's sort of also our job.
1: Look after.
0: Another one was a person in charge of a department of a museum or other place where objects of art, science or from the past are collected. Or a person who arranges uh, the showing of art or other objects of interest. So that one was sort of more rambly in many ways. That's huge. But also tried to do more. you yeah. sort of, sort of liked.
1: It explained more what a curator might do.
0: Mm. Yeah, like it gives an inkling, and also didn't limit it to museums, which yeah. I also quite liked. Yeah, but I
1: think my favorite is actually a
0: content specialist charged with an institution's collections.
1: Yes, <laughs>
0: and involved with the interpretation of heritage material, which can include historical artifacts. That was like proper broad.
1: Yeah. Mm. These five do make me finally understand where the confusion comes from. Because I I mean, Helen, we'll talk about Helen's experience in a a minute. Mm. Helen will know from the point of view of working with media and filming and interviewers and the newspapers and stuff. Basically, if you work in a museum and you have anything at all to do with objects, you're a curator. And now I understand why, because people will have gone on Google, "What's a curator?" Okay, it must be that then. And conservators can be curators if you go by those definitions. And you know, collections managers are curators, registrars are curators, like
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like those
2: some of those definitions are really interesting because quite they're quite old fashioned. sort of that word custodian, I find yeah. It's quite a, an archaic way of describing what the curator was and linking to a specific collection I think a lot of curators still do have their collection and if you go to you know a lot of a lot of museums it's curator of, it's curator mm. of. but I actually think a lot of curators these days have the the knowledge and the skills to interpret heritage and engage people with the history rather than Mm. look after one collection
0: i agree i think i did find that quite a lot of the language around the role of a curator is still very stilted it's still very victorian it's still very elbow patches yeah (laughs) strong tweed vibes
2: it's been really interesting in the recent obviously the heritage sector like many has been rocked by COVID and there have been lots of redundancies and for a lot of major organizations and um, the v for example very recently the notion that they would change the curatorial roles to something different are often the sort of things that get most backlash from people you know it's saying you can't get rid of your curators because I think the public really do see mm. the curator as the holder of knowledge mm. and that you know these objects you know as um, heritage professionals that whatever happens to staff objects shouldn't be compromised um and even if we don't agree with those decisions we can think well the objects will still be cared mm. for the history will still be cared for but it's really interesting the sort of onus that put on the role of curator as something that cannot be taken out of the museum mm which is interesting as we move towards actual non-curatorial roles in museums, which we find, you know, the role of curator is taken on by a group of people or employees with different job titles. It's just, it's so different, but it is really interesting to think how people see the curator in that very old-fashioned
1: big office with loads of antique furniture. With your leather desk and your fountain pen, (laughs) bound books, most of them written by you. I wish I had an office. I would have my
0: own office. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's, it's a bit of a blast from the past, these sorts of notions of curatorship. I mean, I should say these definitions are all ones that I pulled out of all of the other things that curator can mean outside of the museum sphere. It's also interesting to me because I've worked in so many different types of institutions that in some there is a very clear defined sort of almost revered role of a curator and in others it's Mm because they have different titles like collections officer or collections assistant and things like that people go do you not have curators no it's basically it, it that is the, the job role it's just called something else now so with a with a slight rebranding people people can have a really unusual reaction to that so it's it is one of those things that i think is worth talking more about because it's super interesting how much language means to people and how meanings change over time and Uh, what we can do to sort of be with the times and you know include everyone a little bit more
1: Mm. yeah I'm interested in that as well though because again with the media example communicating what an individual who works in a museum does like is They're always labelled curator, even if they're not. And so what times are we moving with? We, is it just within museums that we're saying this person isn't a curator, but they have the role of a curator or that this is this person. We don't have curators anymore. We call them this and this is the new role. But then everyone outside of a museum and people who aren't like particularly in the know about what happens in museums, they still want to know this is the person who I ask about the history facts.
0: This is a great line of questioning. Hashtag ask a curator is something that happens every year. It was just the other week and uh, there was a bit of controversy. First of all, there was a huge call for it to be not ask a curator, but ask a museum professional or just in general opening it up. Uh, And one tweet in particular that I saw that got quite a lot of traction was basically, I wish people knew about more job titles than just curator. Ah, yes. Like, I wish everyone didn't think I was a curator because I work in a museum. I think that person may even have been a curator, but you know, it's, it's more of a, that's a fair point. But on the flip side, I saw someone else say, look, how much understanding and granularity do we actually need or require?
1: Right. Yeah.
0: This person worked in education in a museum setting and their nan just said that she was a curator because she sort of didn't understand the difference. This person said that she didn't mind. She thought other curators might mind, but that she personally didn't mind because the understanding was that, look, it's what people will call someone who works in a museum. So she was really laid back about it. And she was curious what other people's view on it was. My reaction to that was both, well, it annoys me, but also it doesn't. Because I'm thinking of all the people, (laughs) I'm thinking of all the nans out there now, um, who have a granddaughter or grandson who works in IT. Well, Mm. my grandson works with computers. That's the best that they can hope for. It's never going to be they're a programmer, they're a software engineer. (laughs) It's going to be they work with computers. Mm. Is that better or worse than my grandson or daughter works in a museum or is a curator? Like, How much understanding is necessary for the general public. And how how much do we mind it? Is sort of where I'm getting at. <laughs> is it important? If it is important. Then sh- we should fight more for it. And if it isn't important. Then maybe we should all go. Well look we're just museum workers. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just don't know. I just want to throw, out, throw it out there. Because I like the controversy. And I really enjoyed the debate on Twitter. And I think people should tell me. How they feel about it basically. Tell me how you feel about it people. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Denny, I saw the tweet you were referring to, and I agree. I thought it was a really interesting thread of debate. I have so many thoughts on on this. The first is that it's always difficult because, again, speaking from a her- in the heritage world, we all know the different roles. And the second thing is that it's so varied by institution. I felt quite fortunate. I've never worked in an institute in an institution where curator is god. I've always worked in organisations with so many varied roles that curatorial is a strand of it, but it's never been seen as their word is, you know, final and they lead and do everything. I've never experienced that in an organisation which I feel quite fortunate about. I agree. I think that, you know, in most institutions now, that knowledge is shared that you know museums have an ethos and a narrative and if you're working at that museum you are bound to know that ethos and that narrative you're bound to know what goes on with the collections you're bound to know stories about the collections so I do agree that it can be asked broader I think as a curator is a mechanism into getting people to ask about museum collections which I think is is really important but also if you are you know, this, this might be controversial in itself, but I do feel that if you have worked towards a specialism, if that you are, you know, if you are the curator of a, of a museum or an exhibition or a gallery, you shouldn't be made to feel guilty for having that title because you've worked towards it just the same way that you know if some if we had not asked a conservator today you wouldn't want someone saying well it should be asked all museum workers about you know the best fabric to clean and uh, you know like how do you i think there is an element of expertise in the role of a curator not necessarily the title that i think people should feel that they have earned Mm. you know Let's be honest, becoming a curator is actually really hard. I've, the amount of students I speak to are like, I want to be a curator. And I have to say, uh, <laughs> I did every single job before I was a curator. I was in yeah. museum retail, fundraising. I was collections assistant, at volunteer, archive volunteer. I did, I think in the museum where I started my career, I was in every department at some point. I think the only department I was never in was learning. <laughs> and I felt that I worked up through the museum Kind of ladder or not even a ladder because I don't think it's a ladder it's not up to be a curator it's um ground and yeah I I want to be able to feel like I've worked hard for that as well but I don't think the debate is about that really I think it's about recognizing and reflecting that a curator is not the museum god (laughs) the museum does not start and end with curator yeah
0: Mm. and i think it's an excellent point about like the knowledge of a specialist needs to be recognized no one should be ashamed of their job title no one should think it's weird um (laughs) i think it's interesting to try to have these conversations around what to call ourselves much like i think there's a lot of let's generously say branding issues around being a conservator (laughs) because it can mean different things or no one knows what it is and there are some issues here that are sort of more around the linguistics than the job Mm. both the job of a curator and the job of a conservator are super important valid things that are super duper amazing things to do just that we sort of need to change the language around it or we need to think about how to i don't know brand ourselves or make people more aware of what we do and i think those are those are can be challenging things but it isn't the same as saying that a job title isn't valid for example yeah and i think a solution would be to still have ask a curator day but also have an ask a museum worker day like that would be the solution there is to how about we just do two absolutely <laughs> not like there aren't other days in the year Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and i should know because there's an ask a conserve today so <laughs> So obviously as conservators, we have worked plenty with curators. So I just thought that Chloe and I, we can at least have a go at talking a little bit about what our experiences are of working alongside curators in various different places that we've been involved with, whether that's sort of on a freelance basis or as regular employees or contractors or whatever.
1: (laughs) So I think, Jenny, our experiences are quite similar because a lot of them we did together. (laughs) We were both exhibition conservators in a Uh, exhibition venue once a year for a few years i think that was a very interesting experience for me because they were often like first-time curators they were learning we were learning and it was all like Mm. we all need to like learn how to work together in a way that gets this achieved on a tight time frame (laughs) basically
0: Mm, yeah that was really fun like baby curators
1: (laughs) So I think that the situation I'm thinking about of the being basically everyone being a guest curator or a guest conservator was interesting because there was no collaboration in advance. So there was no like yeah. where I've been since then, you ask your nice friend con- curator for an object list and they work on the object list and sometimes it's, oh, I'm afraid that object is yeah a giant mess and there isn't time to conserve it <laughs> or i'm sorry that that object uh, the measurements are wrong and actually it's three meters wide rather than two centimeters wide that kind of thing
0: i suppose that does tend to be sort of overlap with maybe curators and conservators does tend to tend to be sort of in the run-up to exhibitions and things like that when it's like right so this is sort of what the work that needs doing this is what we want to put on display do you think that can be done and how can we make it happen it's a really fun way of working together. It's not that there's no overlap ever outside of exhibitions. That's not what I mean. But more of a, that sort of tends to be the intense crunch time in many of the places that I've worked.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I I really enjoyed the way that you put that, that we were all guests. (laughs) I like that. Guest curators and guest conservators. I quite like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's basically just put people and objects in a room together and watch them work it out. It actually sounds like a good pitch for a reality
1: TV show of some description. So much. How do you feel about object lists, Helen?
2: So my whole approach to, particularly when I'm curating an exhibition, is rather than getting an object list to the conservator, to actually communicate with the conservator as I'm putting together the list, a recent exhibition that I'm working on at the moment, I would just constantly like ring in the conservator. (laughs) You know, my whole approach to, and I'm not just saying this, come on this podcast, but is, you know, take the conservator's word and just do whatever whatever they tell you to do early on because it saves, <laughs> it just saves so much stress down the line. There is nothing worse than finding your perfect yeah. object and being told, actually, there's no way this can go on display. So why not just get rid of all that by communicating? So, yeah, I love putting together object lists. And I love a deadline. And, yeah, I would always share whatever objects i'm thinking point on there before i present the final object list
1: yes <laughs> god
0: i love a good object list i love it so much it's also been interesting because there have been i'd say a couple of times when it's a more siloed work environment when maybe the it's it's been more of a sort of the curator is the Uh, evil overlord coming in and stomping around and going okay this this is what's going to happen and i don't care what you say not in the spirit of collaboration which is perhaps when (laughs) filed under the bad and the ugly in terms of experiences of working alongside people but it's very rare i have to say and this is good that you meet a godzilla curator who's just out to stomp anyone else and just make it happen i don't care uh that's rare and i'm pleased about that because it's not good for the people around you and it's not good for the objects either so
1: yeah i've had situations in the past where i only knew who the curator like nobody introduced me to anybody because i arrived like when all the objects needed to be unpacked and um, everyone was busy and so i put something in the case and the only way that i identified the curator was because i think she said what was it yes no like that i oh, turn it's like yes more drama excellent I was like yes you are the curator (laughs) more drama I love it and because everyone else was talking about like okay well we'll prop it up with this bit of and stuff like that and Mm. I liked that that everyone was getting stuck in and it was that everyone was talking about their individual things but then there has been uh, I I guess a more old-fashioned kind of curator and I bet it depends on the person where you're essentially on your own with your text and then you hear some clumpy shoes and some raised voices and then you know that a curator has arrived. And that's a totally different experience. It's like they're different people, different roles completely. Yeah. That will
0: not just be institutional, it will also be sort of the person as well. And
1: sometimes, you know,
0: it's it's just about how much weight someone wants to throw around. And I've certainly met <laughs> I've certainly met conservators as well who in certain high pressure mm-hmm. situations will start throwing their weight about in a really uncomfortable way where it's like no, no this, this is how it is and I will not be flexible and I will not talk to anyone about anything and it's like okay well it's not helpful uh, so maybe we could not do that uh, <laughs> and I think that's just I think yep. it's just how how people react to stress because usually exhibitions are quite stressful. And I, I think that's just a universal experience that unless you're, you've you planned with so much time and you have nothing else going on, it's, it's going to be a little bit of a stressful time. And sometimes that just makes people freak out. People might not be at their best in an exhibition situation.
1: Yeah. It's also whose responsibility is it? Because I think that the, a lot of the more recent experiences I've had with working with curators has been like, so we're delivering the exhibition, but it's their responsibility that everything is mm. is okay because they're also the project yeah, manager. Yeah. So, you know, there, there is an element of when time is tight, we just try our best to help and deliver what needs to be delivered and help the curator out with whatever yeah. needs to be done. So if that person needs to spend, you know, an afternoon writing the object labels, then we can do the other things that need to be done and it doesn't matter.
2: That's always really helpful and um, yeah, when I've experienced that before in exhibitions where particularly with the install or packing objects um, and moving objects to um, particularly off-site store location it's really easy for I think curatorially to have an oversight of what's happening you know, it's not about conservators coming in and taking over a role that you would want to do it's actually... You know, you can still retain responsibility and accept that you might not be the most well equipped person to do that job.
1: It's all about the individual as well, though.
2: I'm pretty sure the anecdote about someone writing object labels while you were doing everything else was about me. Because that absolutely happened. And I actually came to that in the conservation studio because it was the quietest place in the museum to write label.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just for a, a minute and some kind of... It, you see, I find any project, if you're working on a big project with multiple members of staff, just sometimes taking a minute mm. to, this is nothing about curata- curation actually, just taking a minute to watch what other people are doing towards the goal can really change your perspective on what you're doing.
0: I mean, it's it's just about being a good team player, isn't it? And it's just um, find, finding that way of working together is is what's important. It's
2: really important. Mm.
0: Play, play cool, be team players, find a way of doing your bit and they're doing their bit and you are complementing each other and you are Try to take the pressure off each other, and and you're you're gonna do fine. It's gonna be grand. Uh, I think that's just the the problem if if there's a lot of ego and stress involved. Uh, neither which brings out the best in anyone. I think <laughs> it's not that you can't deliver amazing things under high pressure, but it does mean that you need to maybe be more mindful of how you're coming across to other people. And I think that's just true of everyone.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but yeah, there we can find ways of working together because we do all the time. <laughs>
1: I have a question for both. Let's see what people think about this. So we are in a, probably in a time in a generation and in a change in museums where we can see the ways that other people are doing it. So either it's the traditional sense of, I am a curator, I have, I am a curator of this collection, and the conservators deliver stuff for me to deliver, like, you know, handling events or training or research or whatever. We might be in that situation in a museum or we could be in a situation where, you know, the emerging way of working as as members of museum staff where you're kind of working a bit more as Helen describes. So like working together closely, talking about object types, having different people come in and offer their opinions and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I feel that if you're going into a museum job, and you find yourself working in one situation or another that though it would be good to try and push things maybe towards the more modern side of what we're trying to do nowadays that still one is trying to work and deliver things in a museum and work within the institution or what the institution is doing so i suppose i'm saying you can try and steer the boat but not rock it (laughs) Does that make it? Does that make sense? What do you, what do we think about that? As like younger professionals coming into museums, seeing you know museums are not neutral on t-shirts on Twitter, and then going into museums where the general feeling is, oh no no no, museums are neutral. Thanks very much.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's a tough position to operate from if it sort of doesn't align with how you feel about the profession or the sector that. It's just going to be a really tough time. Yeah. Mm. And whilst you can check those opinions at the door and I'll just keep my head down and get on with things, I don't think that's the solution. I think that's how we just maintain status quo and never make any changes and stay comfortable and stay in a really white profession that has no diversity. So I don't think that's the solution, but it it might be part of the solution to influence in a way that you can maybe not with your big stompy boots and the and the t-shirt immediately (laughs) but maybe be a little bit more subtle (laughs) and maybe try to have the conversations and influence gently there's something to be said for soft skills in, in these things and and just trying to move things along in a in a way that seems productive even if there's resistance you might just get further with having having little conversations about what you saw on Twitter the other week over tea and biscuits in the staff room, as opposed to coming in with the T-shirt and the stompy boots and screaming at everyone that they're wrong. <laughs>
2: yeah, I would, I would completely agree. I think, um, I think the sector is moving in a really positive direction in that and how we collaborate both internally and externally and how we, I think, present ourselves organisationally and sector-wide to the wider public. And I think it starts with those kind of, yeah, having those slightly bolder conversations in-house. I would say the challenge in museums is to be reactive without being a flash in the pan. And I think that can create struggles internally. I think, you know, if objects, say um, if a museum is collecting placards or objects from a protest or say from Extinction Rebellion, when you bring the object into the museum, there is a likelihood if it's a museum that isn't used to collecting objects so quickly and so kind of reactively that those objects will not get catalogued properly do you know what I'm trying to say I think that we need to think of a way to do this responsibly both so so that these objects survive in 100 years (laughs) and people can look back but also to ensure that internally Mm. best practice is still upheld because I think that's where tensions can arise internally. That's when issues can come about. So yeah, I think we're in a really good place as a sector to be doing this stuff. It's just a reminder that just because it's not a 200-year-old object doesn't mean it's now not a museum object and needs to be treated as such.
1: You want to value the objects as equally as you know everything else in your collection. And if you are trying to collect 50 placards from a protest and you don't have the facilities to do that in a, you know if that's not what you would normally do in your acquisitions process then you're going to end up you know bulk accessioning them and then where are you going to store them and then if <laughs> they get to sort of put somewhere because there's no space for them then that's not putting them on a pedestal or putting them on at the same uh level as anything else it's just oh these are really good and we've we want them yeah. but um they're you know they look card like cardboard rubbish so they're just going to stay looking like cardboard rubbish because they're just in a heap somewhere
2: it's really challenging it um, is Chloe do you remember when we collected the women's march placards at people's History Museum? because that was, I think...
1: I wasn't there. I started in the May after that. Ah, okay. What happened? Um, Well, no, it was just...
2: I was just going to say that felt like one of those sort of the first moments of nationwide reactive ah. and, and, you know, and you know there's a lot of people on Twitter like if you have placards bring them to us if you have a pink pussy hat bring it to us and um, mm. and I think that was one of the first moments where we really learned okay we need a
1: system in place to do this the first experience I had of that was at the Science Museum group in Blythe House I can't even remember which room I was in actually in the amazing room of loads of different subjects storage based on subject almost was smoking paraphernalia from pubs, and that somebody had collected these things just before it became illegal to smoke in pubs, smoke indoors. Oh, and I hadn't even because this happened during my lifetime, and you know you don't think about it. You think, oh, good, I don't like smoking in pubs. I'm glad it's illegal. It's unhealthy. You don't think of the sort of kind of historical or social connotations of that. And I saw this stuff and I remember it because I was, you know, within my lifetime. So I remember seeing this stuff around Um, and I thought, you know, Good thinking, <laughs> basically. Like, good thinking, getting some of that before it was thrown away. And that was the first sort of perspective. Obviously, the Science Museum Group does so much other collecting with like, modern materials and science and, you know, uh, that sort of modern day stuff. So it was more just the fact that this had happened, I can't remember when it became illegal now, 2006? Was it around that time? It was So it was a while ago. And someone had thought this is a social event we should collect on it and i just i found that i know there will be other examples and i'd really like to hear some of them if people you know listening to this thinking Ooh. my museum did this thing yeah. 20 years ago i'd love to hear that I, but it occurred to me of just collecting the everyday and the mundane and the i was going to say transitional but it's not this is nothing to do with curatorial <laughs> is really interesting <laughs> but this this would have come from curators this idea of saving stuff and then you know there is a conversation within a museum of yeah someone coming to me and saying hi this is a placard it's covered in sellotape can we have it and I go oh, fake yes <laughs> fine of course it's great it's also covered in sellotape but fine I'll Try and make it last for the five years it's got left. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose one way of getting different perspectives is a way that is being done more and more, and that's community curatorship and community curator groups. So, what experience do we have with that?
2: So, I've worked quite a lot with community curators and community partners. Which has always been a really rich and rewarding experience. Yeah, I uh, in twenty eighteen I worked with a number of community partners who helped select the objects that went into the exhibition, but also helped write the interpretation. So sometimes the interpretation was their kind of response to things. So, for example, we had one of our kind of community collaborators was a student at the time at the University of Manchester who was from a British Bangladeshi background and she was really it's really interesting because the t-shirt was a very famous t-shirt that was worn in parliament by a number of MPs saying this is what feminist looks like we selected the t-shirt to put in the exhibition as a hey look at isn't this great wasn't this a great moment it just said this is white feminism all over. I don't mm. see myself represented. And it was amazing. And we just had this kind of response that she'd written. We put it on the wall next to it, which felt great. And it felt like, actually, you know, I definitely wouldn't have said mm. that without, you know, I guess more consideration. But to have her thoughts on that was, was really incredible and there were so many other things like that that we you know put into the exhibition so yeah i i mean it, it was just it was it was really fantastic um working with community curators i would say that we are sadly to, to, to be a community curator you have to have some something that the museum needs whether that expertise, whether it's lived experience and what the museums and galleries don't often do is pay for that expertise or lived experience. I can show people how to handle objects. I can write labels with people. I can facilitate community groups. but I cannot have the experience that we want them to bring. Um, and I think until we start treating community curators and collaborators as part of the team, even if it's short term, they are not volunteers, the work that goes into that is not what what should be expected at a voluntary level. So whilst I am so excited, the heritage sector has community curators and that we've really embraced this as a kind of way Mm. of getting more diverse voices in, a way of getting, you know, kind of more community voices in, we kind of be using community curators as a tick box for diversity. Because, let's be honest, in the most parts, those community groups will, after the exhibition opens, big opening night, oh, this is great, they will leave and they will not be invited back. Yes. They might come back of their own accord, but they will not be invited back because their role is, and there's a lot wrong with that.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: Some of these definitions from earlier sort of expanded a little bit more. And one of the things that I remember from one of them was that in very small, or even volunteer run museums, the curator may be the only paid member of staff. If a curator is that core, and and, I mean, they are, uh, if a curator is that core to a museum, then a community curator should be at least that core and should definitely be paid. You know, it's just like if we value expertise and knowledge that much, which we do, then that must be paid for. And I think that's just hard line, isn't it? It should be paid.
2: I completely agree Jenny and there's always someone ready to say to explain away why they shouldn't and I think it it, this brings us right back to to our fantastic conversation earlier about um, you know ask a curate today because really when we think about the team if, if there is you know a project you know the project I was working on it was over a year of working with these incredible and sadly I left just afterwards so so couldn't you know had to leave those relationships in the hands of my colleagues, who I know really work hard to sort of, you know, facilitate those links to keep them going. But um, you know, we we'd been together for over a year. We were working together, and so if someone had come on and done hashtag ask curator, can I ask about this exhibition? Really, my voice hides a lot of theirs, and um, that's where the challenges come in. I think with community curators is that w- we amplify their voices for such a short amount of time. Mm. Mm. And don't think about the longevity of it, we don't think about what, thing. when we were working with Represent, we worked with some women who were seeking asylum and we said that we, you know, we would, we asked them what do you need from us, you know, what, what do you need from us to enable, not only that you can do this, but that will be a really positive outcome for you doing this. In some cases it was like volunteering, coming and volunteering, other cases it was um, writing support letters the home office you know so when you think about what you can offer and what people need from you I don't think a lot of places ask that question but yeah that's there are so many incredible outcomes from community Mm -hmm. community and I hope it continues I just think similarly to reactive and rapid collecting it's something that if we're going to do it it cannot be a trend it has to be you know it has to have longevity and it has to have proper systems in place
1: Yeah, and considering that a lot of museums have specific funding and fundraising for specific exhibitions, I don't see why we, you know, with just a different perspective and a different sort of lean in the funding bid, why we can't build it into your bid. There's nothing. Well, because then you're putting them on the same level as everyone else. You're giving something back that is, you know, that's a paid for you know, experience in it's so. a.
0: Yeah. I suppose what the, all of this makes me think about is that just as you said that you sort of needed their voices, uh, Helen, I, I sort of feel like that's similar to how I really need curators in my work as a conservator, because <laughs> not that they're the brains, that's <laughs> wrong, but they are the knowledge keepers. They are the people with the real knowledge. And I think this is something that has been interesting in, uh, sort of being deployed into new places of work or as a freelancer is that people people sometimes have an expectation that I will know everything about their collection, which is really fun and interesting and weird. Whereas it's like, no, mm. you don't understand. I I'm I'm more of a material scientist. I I know what the corrosion products here are, I know what to do about them. I know how to facilitate this and make it the safer display. And and they're like, oh, do you not know that it's the bivalve of a machine that used to run in the 1920s <laughs> in yes. this particular location? <laughs> no, no, I don't. That's you telling me, which is great. And I love that. I, I need that yeah. information. Please give me more information. Um, and it's this wonderful exchange where this sort of needs to... like, We sort of come to an e- equilibrium in the end. It's, it's fun. And I guess that's why conservators and curators can make a really good team and i would love to hear if any conservators out there are working more with community curators because that would be really fun to hear
1: yeah i mean i am um hint hint <laughs> were you leading me into that i'm sorry okay <laughs> In hint, hint, chloe well first i want to say that i sometimes i and i think this is one of those famous relationships between a curator and a conservator is that sometimes we need curators to make decisions for us about like what to clean off what layer to go back to do i retain this do i remove it is this a replacement by valve, or whatever it is you said, yeah. um, <laughs> is it you know is this typical of the type? Has this been changed? Has this been mashed together in the past? is it you know what is it about this that is unusual because you know we're not necessarily always going to know that a certain type of ceramic was always you know over painted or not over painted, and why has this happened? This is unusual? Don't remove that. it's amazing. Where something might just look like damage to us, it could yeah. be the sign of something really interesting that has happened, and we we wouldn't know that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And sometimes, of course, it, it, we can then share information, you know, with them that might be new information,
1: which is also fun. Absolutely, that's what I love so much. Is that you are
2: together when you're looking at objects, you are digging for clues, aren't you? And it's um
1: yes, it's
2: really exciting when that happens. I was dealing with a pair of shoes that belonged to a very famous children's author. And one of the conservators asked me, you know, do we we clean the shoes more? And I was like, well, no, because that mud is her mud. That is, you know, uh, it's... And actually then that's a whole other conversation of how do we preserve the mud? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Together we're finding out new things. And I think it's, uh, yeah, when you can collaborate on an object or a collection it's really fun and really great
1: yeah absolutely so the other thing when you said about working with community curators I mean I don't have that much experience working with community curators but I'm going to get more in like two weeks (laughs) so I'm doing for example I am doing and have done um, tours and object handling training with community curators to kind of allow them to make more hands-on decisions about things so I'm doing that and that's going I'm really excited about that because I'm basically thinking about different ways of explaining object handling to non-museum professionals which is always like that's the, the the basic interesting thing of how to make something make sense and also engaging but also how to we talked about this in the touch episode didn't we jenny how to talk about experiencing an object and the materials and assessing the safety of doing something if you can't see it so much or if you you know can't use you know the different sort of methods that we tend to use for whatever reason for object handling um, but still make it a really important experience and still allow that person to interpret the object and to get an understanding from it for them to do the job that they're here for and that's to you know to offer their opinion and offer you know their experience and stuff um, and also express that experience and, and opinion in the form of an exhibition. I feel that we're beset by rules in collections care we definitely talked about about this in the the touch episode so i i think that i don't community curators are interested in the collection and the process of conservation so i don't want to and that's you know regardless of the community uh, and the individuals it tends to be you know they want to actually take part in the museum rather than just could have sort of come in and give their opinions and go away again so I don't want to change the process but I want it to be available to everyone and you know doing tours and stuff for different groups is always really brilliant everyone loves the studio I'm in um, and I really like <laughs> do you like talking about conservation Chloe that's a surprise <laughs> 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 I really like talking to about conservation with people who aren't museum professionals and who are like you know oh so you fix things in here and you can talk to them about sort of what and why mm. and how and make it engaging and I really really like that and I think that when we're museum professionals presenting object options and story options to community groups and community curators and collaborators you just get as Helen said you get so much more out of it you get perspectives that you just didn't even know that you didn't have and it's it just it just changes everything
2: it definitely feels like the right direction yeah like you say it's not just I mean it's great that you're community curated, but this kind of community mm. work should permeate the whole of the museum and organization
0: possibly where I I feel like I haven't had I haven't had this experience in that somewhere I used to work sort of did sort of start trying to invite community curators in and uh, you know did so and they developed an exhibition and you know there was stuff going on but I never met them and I never I was never involved with with any of it, and it it made me feel really sort of sad about it because I just felt like they were sort of siloed off from the rest of potentially the museum staff in general, I suppose. But I just felt like it like if if they're if they're being invited in and sort of you know come join the club, you know, like then surely they should get to meet everyone and they should Mm. properly get to be an integrated part rather than just you do your own thing and you're allowed to use the exhibition space because that's sort of more what it felt like. I mean, I'm sure they got loads out of it anyway, but I just felt like there could have been more here. There was scope for more and and I would have loved to meet them and work with them. Mm. I think in many ways, people everywhere are just finding their feet with this. Um, And I suppose what my takeaway from that is involve everyone. If you're planning a thing like this, please involve everyone.
1: (laughs) So finally, we've talked a lot about different ways that curators can work with conservators and how conservators can work with curators and community groups and, and everything. But we've not talked much about Helen. And we asked you to kindly join us because you have a really... I think very interesting role an interesting way that you have come to that role and your goals in your job and your profession are really interesting so I'd really like to chat with you more about that
2: that's really kind Chloe <laughs> I never think of my own as like that but the way I approach being curated is definitely a bit different from some of those more traditional definitions that we heard earlier
1: for sure tell us where you came from I suppose
2: I started my career as a volunteer when I was 15 years old at Salford Museum and Art Gallery and I knew kind of really early on that I wanted to be a curator and work with history and objects in a museum setting, I just didn't know what to do, and then when I went to college and university, I did classics, and I remember I went to the British Museum with my classics class, got the the train from Manchester to London, it was really exciting, and we went into the British Museum, and I remember walking through the British Museum and thinking, I want to be a curator of the British Museum, I want to look after ancient objects, I want to talk about visual culture in ancient Greece, this is what I want to do. And then I got to university and did classics, and yeah, I was really interested in visual culture and context. So I did my uh, undergrad dissertation on Parthenon marbles. You know, it's controversial, and actually, how they, you know, their removal from their original place has changed the context. And so, sort of actually, looking at the history of museums and really talking about elements of colonisation. Before it was cool to talk about decolonization. I was talking about <laughs> um, And yeah, and, and it's funny because I, I, then I did my museum studies master's. which At the time, everyone was like, you can't work in museums without an MA. You can't work in museums without an MA. And I think that's wrong now. I think you should be able to work in museums without an MA. But I went and did museum studies and I got on a placement at People's History Museum. And suddenly I went from wanting to curate ancient Greek art She wanted to curate Pre-Raphaelite Gallery at Manchester Art Gallery (laughs) to then come into this museum which was totally different to any place I've ever been that that, that didn't just have this great collection but had real values. I just fell in love with this collection and I I knew I wanted to stay there and I I was offered a temporary job there working in venue hire and doing events but then I always retained like the research I wanted to do and I was really interested in Ellen Wilkinson and so I kept volunteering in the archive I kept doing things in Ellen Wilkinson and then I just bounced around as I said earlier all these different departments until I was seconded onto a project for Never Going Underground, which was the exhibition marking the 50 years since so the partial decriminalisation of homosexual act, which is really interesting. And then a job came up, we called it a programme officer, and I believe it's still called programme officer, but it's essentially a curator's role. It would be a curator role anywhere else, and it was kind of curating exhibitions, events, a whole programme, cultural programme, around kind of the themes that we'd chosen for those years. The first one was suffrage, which was what I'd kind of grown to specialise in, And that is how I got the job there. And then I moved at the end of 2018. The National Trust was doing a very similar thing, looking at these large anniversaries and doing huge cultural programmes. I moved to the National Trust and worked on their uh, cultural programme called the National Public Programmes. Um, and I worked on their People's Landscapes programme. And I was working on their 2021 programme. When pandemic hit, and I now have a new role at the National Trust, assistant national curator of cultural Landscape. So that's a really quick whirlwind of my of my how I got to where I am as as a curator. I really believe in museums not being neutral. I really, I don't believe in something called hidden histories, and I don't really like using the term hidden histories, even though I've definitely used it in the past. Because hidden histories says that we that they aren't there sometimes, and we often find these terms hidden, invisible. And they are there. We just don't always have the right objects to tell those stories or the right voice to tell those stories. Mm. So I, I do have a specialism, sort of. I, I'm a specialist. I could, you could say I specialize in women's history collections, And my current specialism was cultural landscapes because I'm really interested in doing more research in the connections of people to our landscapes, whether through kind of religion, social elements, political elements, working elements, anything that connects people to landscapes that has shaped landscapes like. But I don't have a specialism in the term of that. I don't have a collection. I don't have a collection that I've grown with. What I feel like I have is a curatorial. I guess my own sort of manifesto and how how i like to curate um, and sometimes that isn't always possible but i like to be as collaborative as possible i like to kind of bring in untold stories shall we say stories that haven't made their way from the basement or the object store into the gallery i'm not an elbow patches curator i don't <laughs> stick to one collection and never leave it and and sort of plunge to different depths of research and find out everything I can about this collection only to tell the same story about it I like moving to different collections I like moving to different narratives and what I like to think I bring is that sort of passion for interpretation I want to share as much history as I can and I want to do it as collaboratively as possible and really try and find stories that people aren't accustomed to hearing and making them part of our everyday kind of history books and history lessons and yeah make sure that they are heard it's is how I like to approach my curatorial work
1: and how do you think lastly conservators can help you do that and help other curators and museum professionals do that you know I talk
2: about I've just talked about um sharing things now and not later and without conservators, we wouldn't be able to do that. Things would mm. sit in boxes. And there's a real excitement about working with conservators, like we said, on interrogating objects, examining them, understanding more about their story, preserving them. And I think I would just, I mean, I guess my advice would be to both curators and conservators is forge that. Mm. It's the special relationship in the museum without these two roles working together and actually really supporting each other it's difficult to do what we both do and yeah I mean the exhibition I'm working on at the moment if the conservator is listening I don't know to, I'm hoping to listen to the c-word but I couldn't have done it without her she has just been Aww. like we've worked in tandem at every step
0: I love that that's great
2: yeah I feel very fortunate that all the conservators I work with the conservation studio the if I mean if any conservators haven't done a day trip to the Royal Oak Conservation Studio at Noel, the National Trust, I would go because it's amazing. And <laughs> as, as, like they're doing the same thing. They're working to kind of get conservation out there and show how it supports telling these histories and these stories. So yeah, I think there's great ways we can work together, continue to work together and yeah, make make these histories known and shared.
0: If you're enjoying The C-Word and would like to support our work, then please consider becoming one of our patrons. For as little as $1 per month, you can help us keep our episodes online and more of them coming. Patreon helps us meet our regular costs for the show, and also to plan ahead so we know roughly how much of a monthly budget we've got. That's super helpful when you're trying to do something special like buy a better microphone or save up to go to a special event. Your support also helps keep us free of advertisements. In return, our supporters get access to our archive of extended episodes, which you can only access on our Patreon page. Yeah, for that one dollar a month, you get a little extra audio enjoyment. We've crushed the numbers, and it's about ten percent extra content on a regular basis. Well, it's not bad for less than a cup of coffee, eh? If supporting us sounds like something you'd like to do, then head over to patreoncom slash word and join our bunch of absolute champions. And a warm welcome to our latest patron, Ward. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening. We're The SeaWord and you've been listening to Helen Antrobus, Chloe Rumsey, and me, Jenny Mathiasson. Join us next time for an episode about rationalization. In the meantime, check out our website at theseaward.show, tweet us at The Seawood Podcast, or simply email us on theseawardpodcast at gmail.com. Intro and outro music is spring by Didi Music, used under Creative Commons attribution license. Additional sound effects by Callum Robertson. This has been a Wooden Dance production.
1: Do 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 do. Do.